This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. This episode of iFreaks is brought to you in part by Postcards. Postcards is the simplest way to allow user feedback from right inside your application. With just a simple gesture, anyone testing your app can send you a postcard containing a screenshot of the app and some notes. It's a great way to handle bug reports and feature requests from your client. It takes five minutes to set up, and the first five postcards each month are free. Get started today by visiting www.postcard.es. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 87 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel we have James Uber. Hello from downtown Minneapolis. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I'm going to swallow my pride a little bit, and I'm going to admit that I've been supporting this show in particular and one or two of the other shows on the podcast network out of my own pocket. They either have very few or no sponsors. And I've decided that I need to reach out and ask for a little bit of help. Things got a little tight over Christmas season. So anyway, if you want to help support the shows, I would really appreciate it. There are several ways you can do that. Mainly, they just put money in my pocket so I can continue to pay the bills that keep the shows running and pay my own bills. So the first thing that you can do is you can go sign up for the forum at ifreakshow.com slash forum. There's also a donate page on devchat.tv. So if you go to devchat.tv slash donate, you can make donations there via Stripe, which is credit cards or PayPal. I'm also putting on a JavaScript remote conference uh, that's not specifically interesting to this show, but, you know, it is one way that you can put money in my pocket so that I can pay for stuff. And uh, I'm also putting together a course and a book on podcasting. So if you've been thinking about starting a podcast and you want some expert help, I've been doing this for like six years, and I've basically hosted every kind of podcast you can have. Um, I'm putting together a book. I'm also putting together the course. You can find all that at pickuppodcasting.com. And so any of those would help, and I really appreciate the help. And I hate asking for help, so <laughs> there you go. I know. Get enough money to keep Pete Hodgson on the show. That's, that's a real, that's a real tough know, one. That, that guy. <laughs> Jeez. He, he wants all these crazy things like one bowl of M&Ms a year. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, but somebody's got to do it, right? Can't get that talent for free. Yep. So since it's just Jame and I today, we decided to do a follow-on to our freelancing discussion we had, what, a month or two ago? Maybe three months ago? So are there topics that we should be covering that were important that maybe we didn't cover last time? Well, one thing that is always important is how do we keep our skills up to date? How do we make sure that what we're doing is still going to be valuable in six months you know, in the mobile world, like it'd be three months, but even the you know, next year or two, how do we make sure that our, our skills are up to date? Because, you know, ability does the work, but people want the skills. You know, I need someone who can do this. That's a lot of why we got into freelancing in the first place or consulting. We recognize that and say, okay, I have this skill and I can, mm-hmm. can develop the software for it, but 
you know, iOS, that's still a pretty hot skill, but how do we, how do we keep our skills where they need to be so we can, you know, do the work that people want us to do? You just watch the Apple keynotes, right? Watch the keynotes, wait for people to stop complaining. Yeah. About the actual, about the actual technologies. That's a good, that's a good way of doing it. You know, we they announced tons of stuff in June, which is about six months ago. And we're just getting to the point where people are starting to do reasonable stuff with Swift. People are, they're happy with it about as much as they're cursing with it. And it's, I should say. So I think, you know, Swift is becoming something that's viable. I've been working with Swift for about the past month full time. Most of my work, there's still a ton of my clients still doing Objective-C, but the more forward thinking companies are, are on the bandwagon where they weren't, you know, maybe even two, three months ago. Yeah. We also had the announcement of the uh, Apple Watch and Watch Kit. So there's stuff there and Apple Pay. Mm -hmm. You know, so there are definitely things to know there. Are there other sources, uh, good sources for people to kind of keep current on what's going on in the full iOS ecosystem? To tell you the truth, I mean, how I do it, I monitor Twitter. I've got my Twitter feeds that I monitor and see what people are doing. I've got people that are in... You know, corporations that are, are doing work, so I monitor that. I see what my clients are doing. So I don't have any specific things to monitor, but just the general Twitter feeds of the iOS developers. You can get a feel for where the technology is. Is it useful? Are we still on the bleeding edge where we're cutting ourselves trying to use it, or are we getting to the point where you know it's usable, people are starting to get behind it, and it's time to hop on board? I think a lot of new development will be done in Swift. So there's, there's still going to be tons of Objective-C for years to come. But it's definitely a reasonable call to start new projects using Swift. How much do you expect that to pay off in, say, 2015, as opposed to you know sticking with Objective C? Well, I think you can get on cooler projects. Things that are it's new, it's greenfield. You don't have the three, four year old projects of whatever patterns we were using back then, which we're all ashamed of because we've learned things since then. But I think it's time to at least be functional with it, understand a little bit about it, and start you know, writing some code. I have, I've got my own side projects I'm doing, and that's all on Swift. But yeah, for client work, I've been doing Swift for the past three or four weeks, and there's some pain points. You know, it's, There's definitely things you miss, especially if you're used to using the debugger and having it work. But, it's, 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 <laughs> but overall, I think the power of the language is something that I'm very happy with. So a lot of things that I missed coming from the Ruby and C-sharp world, are, are back and they're usable and we can make our apps better. Well, and it seems like that's the direction that Apple is going to be pushing things. And so as new frameworks come out, as new technologies come out with Apple, it seems like those are going to be maybe more friendly to Swift than Objective-C. With the interoperability, I don't know that they're going to move away from Objective-C completely, at least anytime soon. But that does make sense that you know, if they are, you know, putting a lot of work into Swift, that they're going to, you know, they're going to lean things that way a little bit. I think so, yeah. Objective-C is definitely not going anywhere. I mean, the frameworks are Objective-C based, and even if you're consuming them from Swift, you have all the, the optional stuff, which if they were doing it in a native Swift framework, they would probably do the more non-optional types. So definitely at the boundaries, mm -hmm. there's a lot of Objective-C going and a lot of the patterns we're going to have to figure out going forward is, you know, how do we bridge these two worlds? How do we harness the power of the language and the static typing, but still use the old kind of dynamic Objective-C approaches? Right. 
I'm a little curious to know if some of this information is in like WDC talks or in like some of the other, I don't know, I360 iDev or some of these other CocoConf, you know, how much information is there, you know, regarding where things are going or skills that you can pick up. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure they're talking about cool things. It, it moves so fast that, you know, the, the last CocoConf was maybe a couple months ago. You know, in the, in the last couple months, things have moved pretty fast and, you know, there's more Cocoa Comps coming up, you know, in a month or so, but things will be different then. So a lot of it is, you know, watching the blogs, watching the yeah. Twitter feeds, seeing what people are doing, what they're trying. And a lot of things that I'm coming across are things that someone posts like a half solution on there. I try it. I don't like this thing. And I think of, well, maybe the way we can improve on that and, and going from there. So the full solutions aren't out there. You have to kind of pick and choose and use your experience to figure out what's going to be valuable, what's going to produce solid code. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I think, you know, Swift, I'm buying in. So I think if you want to be working on new projects, definitely get Swift ready. You don't need to necessarily know everything about it because no one really does at this point, or very few people do, but it's a valuable thing to have on board. You know, other things coming down the pipe, WatchKit, I think there's a lot of buzz around that. It's very early. So I think if you want to start developing WatchKit, you know, on your own, that's that's perfectly cool. As a straight business decision, as a consultant, you know, it kind of depends on where your network is. Are you talking to the people that need the Watch app, or are you waiting for someone to come at you and saying, "Hey, we need this"? I think this kind of gets into another topic that we were discussing before the show, and that is finding a niche. So some niches, it's going to make a lot of sense. You know, if it's wearables, fitness, just different reporting apps, it's going to make a lot of sense to get into WatchKit and figure out what it's capable of and taking advantage of it. And others, it's not. So have you found a niche that you tend to work in or do you just, you know, take general iOS contracts? Yeah, finding a niche is something I've been looking at over the past year. And I've been going through programs like Brennan Dunn's Freelancers Guild, and a lot of the people that talk freelancing or writing about it say, you know, find a niche. I'm the person that does this one thing. To use a phrase from my friend Gypsy who talks about this, like, you don't want to be the general person that does everything, because if you say you can do everything, which most of us developers, hey, and anyone listening to this podcast could probably do anything that any client wanted them to do. But if you tell them you can do anything, they don't remember you can do anything. They, they, they think you can do nothing. You know, they, they, don't, they don't think of you. So it makes sense to have some kind of niche. Like I do apps for dog groomers. You're the dog groomer guy. You understand that industry so well that any dog groomer who wants an app, and there's millions of them, I'm sure, but they know that you're the guy who understands dog grooming and how to get people to get the add-ons like the toenail clippings and the, the bows or whatever dog groomers do. I don't know. That's, that's, an, that's an example for my friend Gypsy. But it, it makes sense when you're pitching yourself saying, I'm this person, I do this. Because people will fill in the gaps. Say, I can, you know, I develop mobile apps, iOS. They're more likely to think you can do that, but also maybe you can also do this. So they'll expand what they think of you can, as they think of you doing. But one of the things that I've been challenging is most of the people talking about niches are doing it from kind of a web perspective. They'll work with a client that has some web application that runs their business. Maybe it's a website. There's something that, you know, the company does not have technology department, they work with people, consultants, freelancers, people like you, Chuck, that help them do their development, that gets their right. their site in, you know, helps their site, their, their web app run their business. And if you're doing mobile stuff, 
I'm finding a lot of it is different. I, I have trouble converting, you know, being like the guy who understands dog groomers to the mobile world. So that's something I've been trying to figure out. You know, you might, in the web world, maybe you'd specialize in e-commerce. You know how to get people to buy things and how to rearrange the site so people go to the things and find the things they want and get happy. And, you know, the, it, the freelancer podcasts and blogs, they all talk about ROI. And if you have a, you know, a, a sales site, you can say, okay, if I improve your sales by 20%, that's as much money. And you can, can operate mm-hmm. that way. That's trickier to do in mobile. So I'm still figuring out how to do that. I'm coming up with some things, but I don't, I don't really know. So I'm still trying to figure that out. Any ideas? So one thing that I've seen in freelancing, and yeah, most of my freelance work is, in fact, nearly all of my freelance work is web. It's not mobile. But the thing that I'm finding is that people who need specific types of applications built will find people who have had certain types of applications built and then talk to them and find out who did it for them. And industries talk to each other. It's just the way it is. If there's somebody out in industry A, let's say plumbing, this is always my example, plumbing or dentistry are usually the ones I pick. Plumbing for no apparent reason, dentistry, because my dad's a dentist and I think about it sometimes. But let's say plumbing, okay? So, you know, you write plumber's apps. Now, the plumbers who are really going out there and killing it and, you know, being those people that everybody kind of looks to are going to be the ones that are going to go out and have this app built, okay? And so then they do it, they prove the concept, hey, having a plumber app is a super good thing and it pays off in my business because I have other people signing up, you know, I'm making more money because I have this mobile app. So then they go and they, other people go, well, you know, where do I go to get a plumbing app? And then they say, well, I paid Jane to write it. And so then Jane gets a whole bunch of business. So... Yeah, at that point, if you understand the plumbing business, then you right. can say, okay, well, I help this person increase their, you know, upsell their, their faucets they put in. They put in solid, with this app, they put in solid gold faucets. 34% of their people put in solid gold faucets. They, much, they made this much money, right. which, okay, I don't think a mobile app's going to do that. That makes no sense if you're thinking from a mobile world. Right. But from the web world, it does make a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense in the area that I work in. So, you know, one area that I really understand is podcasting. Okay. And so apps for podcasters makes a lot of sense. And so I could, and this is something that I'm working on now, and I, I can talk a little bit about it. So I've, I've been reading this book. It's called Become a Key Person of Influence. They talk about becoming this, you know, kind of the, one of the top four or five people in the field. And then, you know, people come to work with you and things like that. And so a lot of podcasters, especially podcasters who have more than one podcast, or if they have a large audience, you know, they're looking for other ways to engage their audience. And so they want an app that will allow them to do that. And so I can solve that problem by becoming not just a thought leader, I hate that term, by the way, but becoming somebody that people look to in general for podcast information, but then also become the person that people look to for building podcasting applications. You know, so I can build some web applications that solve particular problems, software as a service for podcasters. I can also then build uh, mobile applications that interface with those services, or I can just build applications that interface with tools that podcasters already use. And so by understanding the ecosystem and understanding those areas, then I don't have to go market generally for mobile stuff. I can actually go market specifically to podcasters 
to get the work for them. And uh, that's that's kind of what creating a niche does for you is it allows you to focus your marketing and it allows you to come in and really just own a field. And so then you wind up getting all the work for a smaller group of people instead of some of the work for a larger group of people. Definitely. That makes a lot of sense. In the mobile world, it's a little bit harder because mobile is generally one part of a solution. For the yes. most part, one app is not the entire solution for the podcasters. You know, if they want a website, they need uh, API interactions. Yeah, exactly. And, so, and and that's kind of what I'd be offering is, you know, here's the back end, here's how you manage all the data that goes through the API to the mobile app, and then here's the mobile app. So, yeah, my solution would be both. Very cool. So for us mobile people, you know, they keep our skills, they tell us to find a niche, maybe it's mobile, it's iOS. How do we sub-niche that? Well, it doesn't have to be just some industry vertical, though there are certain verticals that I think really do make sense for niching down, even in the area of just mobile. A lot of the medical apps, you know, and, and HealthKit handles a lot of this, but I mean, there's HIPAA, there's high tech, there are a whole bunch of other regulations depending on which state you're in for healthcare. And so, you know, if you understand all that stuff, then you're the person that they need to hire in order to get the work done. So there's something there, you know, if, if you're going to work in that field, then there's a lot of domain knowledge that needs to go into that in order to do it. You know, if you've written several apps that do things, so they're solution-based uh, niches. So it's like, I can build apps that deliver certain types of media really well. And, you know, and I, I've met some people who do that. So, yeah, they're capable iOS developers, but, you know, they really have kind of specialized in the area of high-volume deliverability of video, for example. And so they hook into various backends or a custom backend that they've built that delivers the video in such a way that the streaming, the HLS streaming, works really nicely in iOS. And so they've specialized in that. And then they can work with these companies to either use whatever systems they're using to deliver it or or deliver the video, or they can deliver it themselves. That makes sense. So two possible niches you could have for yourself, healthcare. And if anyone's ever dealt with HIPAA or any healthcare type stuff, protected health information. And you, you still know, have hair, I want to talk to you. It's, it's, it's a huge pain. And the old saying is where there's muck, there's brass. So if it's a huge pain, you can make pretty good money mm-hmm. handling the pain. Yep. If you can help them through it. And, you know, things like streaming media, that's a good thing to get into. It's very applicable to a lot of different, different, you know, industries. Another thing that I've stumbled across, I've done a couple apps like this. One thing that works well from a mobile perspective, like where our an iPad app are a big part of what they do with their, their company are sales apps. You know, big companies that do medical equipment spend tons of money building these apps so their salespeople can go into a meeting with a busy doctor and show them their new cool things. Show them a video, show them information, get them information. So I've worked on a number of sales apps this year. So that's one thing that has emerged as something that people do with apps. You know, it's definitely not the coolest subcategory you'd be in, but if you wanted to find some way to distinguish yourself from other people, you know, sales apps, that's something that a lot of companies need. Because they've got salespeople out there that need to present what they have to people that are busy. Yep. So well, they're, they're and the, the other thing is, is then you have something to pitch, right? You have something to sell. So you go out and you say, hey, you know, I built this sales app for ABC company and you sell John Deere or something. I don't know, whatever. 
And so I could do the same thing for you. And look, here are the tools that we built in. And that way your salespeople can go out and they can get you placed in more stores or they can go talk to professionals who buy your equipment and show them how it works, you know, things like that. And so you can, you, you already have a product that is close to what they want that you've built, you know, even though somebody else owns it. But the fact that you have something that you can demonstrate to them is saleable is a whole lot easier to sell because it's something they can touch and feel and see, you know, I can do the same thing for you. The other thing is, is that you can ask people in the company that you did the work for, do you know any other companies who need this work? You know, and they may not refer you to their competitors because they feel like they have a competitive advantage with what you've built for them, but they may refer you to a sister company or, you know, one CEO may talk to his buddies at some CEO meetup. You know, one of them mentions that they're having trouble um, making sales, and then he remembers that you asked him for a referral, and there you go. And that's that's another power of the niche is that they know what you can do. They know what you can deliver. Yeah, it depends on where is your network. Do you mostly hang out with other developers? Then that type of niche is not going to help you as much. But if you're around people that are having the problems you're trying to solve, then you can definitely get more value out of creating a niche. And I think as I've gone farther down the consulting rabbit hole, I'm spending more time moving up the food chain. I started off hitting up all dev meetups, talking to people. And that gave me a very broad view of different technologies because I would go to Ruby meetups. I would go to node meetups, you know, big data, MongoDB, that type of thing. And so that gave me a good broad view of what other developers are doing and finding other people that are doing different things. And I got some value out of it. I met a lot of really cool people, people I know do good things, and I can connect the dots and introduce people as needed. But to move up the food chain, you want to be meeting the people that are closer to writing the checks or having actual business problems that we're hoping to solve with iOS and mobile apps. The other thing that's really interesting is that you don't have to be the full solution. So, you know, I know people who have niched down to particular uh, open source projects, mostly in the web world. So, you know, things like Redmine or Spree, which are both Rails-based applications. One is a project management app. The other one is a an e-commerce. So there's another area you can get into if there's some open source iOS dealio that, you know, gets somebody most of the way there and they need it built or configured or customized in a particular way, that's something you can do. And then the other thing is, is you could be the solution for particular applications. So one thing that I've done is I've actually built integrations to Apple's push notification service. I've, I've done that uh, once or twice and, you know, I've got it pretty much figured out. So, you know, I may not be the guy that is going in and solving uh, a company's problem as far as their mobile presence, but I can build them a quick little application that they can use to send notifications to their mobile application. And all it takes is a little bit of work with their mobile developers and some work in a web framework that I'm familiar with. And then they can just set things up. So they just push the notifications in and then they come out and talk to the phones that have been registered for that. Yeah, that makes sense. So then you're brought in by the general contractor type person who coordinates you know, three or four or five, however many people do the work. Here's our push mm-hmm. notification guy. Come in, do your thing, right? And get out. Exactly. So and that's push notification. That's a huge pain. I spent days debugging a Node API for a well-known service that was just absolutely wrong, and we just burned days with bad documentation on someone else's implementation 
Yep. And I just set it up so that they authenticate, you know, their app authenticates with my app so that I know that it's, it's somebody trusted. And then, you know, they just push the information across and, you know, whatever information we have about the devices, because that's how push notifications work is devices, not people, users. So, you know, then they can decide who it's going to be sent to, whether it's one device or, you know, many devices. Okay, so if you're the push notification guy, how do you get your word out? How do people know that you are the push notification guy other than running a podcast? Right, so that's the trick, right? You can either reach out to a whole bunch of iOS developers iOS development shops and say, hey, I've built push notification services. I would probably specify that, you know, I do the work in Ruby on Rails. And what that does is it allows them to identify, okay, we have these clients that are using Ruby on Rails. But then I can also specify to them, I could build an external service that, you know, is basically a black box to them. But, you know, it does the job and they just talk to it like any other uh, web service. But yeah, I mean, you just reach out to the people doing the work or you reach out to companies that have apps and say, hey, you know, I can help you get push notifications into your app. But it seems like, for me at least, the, the most effective way was to find iOS development shops who needed that functionality built in. And then what happens is they usually have some kind of specialization that they need. So they have certain types of push notifications that go out. And so I, I basically built an interface for each one so that they can say, this kind of push notification to all of our users or to these particular users or whatever. Yeah, one thing that you brought up I want to reiterate is that you reached out to other like dev shops. And that's a really great tactic if you specialize in this way of doing one technical yeah. thing. They're the people that know the clients. They have, have a larger solution. They have a Rails app, a mobile app, an Android app, back-end yeah. stuff integration. But you could do one part of it. And up yeah. to about a year and a half ago, I did mostly staff augmentation. I was mm-hmm. at... Well, one client for over a year, we built a really cool app, and that was done. Then I moved on. I was like, well, I'm going to do more project work, short-term work, bump up the rates, take the hours down, and see how that goes. And I got out in there, and I realized I had a few small clients, and like, I don't know the right people that are going to find me this work. And what I did, I just identified you know, the top five, six dev shops in town and sent an email. said, hey, you know, this is what I do. I do iOS, and... We're still in a state where if you can do iOS well, people will listen to you. They'll take your call. They'll take your email. But I just sent cold emails to people I may have met once, but most of them I hadn't met. And I had meetings with 80% of the people that I sent an email to. You know, And some of that turned into billable work. Most didn't, but some people said you know, they made other introductions which did turn into billable work. So reaching out to other dev shops is a very great way to keep things going if you don't have a steady pipeline of clients. Yeah, I have to say one thing about working with other dev shops is that they a lot of times just want to white label your work. In other words, they want to bill it and treat it like it's their own. And so the easier you can make that, the easier it is to find that work. And those dev shops talk too. But really, I mean, it's just if they have that kind of work that needs to be done and they either don't know how to do it or don't want to do it, they know it. And the second you come in and say, hey, I can do this, they're all over it. So it's just a matter of playing the numbers game and getting out there, and if it's a valuable service, then it'll get paid for. Most definitely. But I do believe that there are niches within iOS that, you know, just like there are in web, I just think that the landscape's different, and so some of the things that we see as niches in web are going to be different from the ones in mobile. Yeah, definitely. I mean, e-commerce is a very common niche in the web world. For mobile, people buy things on their phones, so it could be a niche, but what I found is 
companies that e-commerce on the phone generally have development staff. They've got yeah. people that they hire full-time employees. They'll have a lead or a CTO. So they've got a bit of a budget behind it. So you define to be a good spot to be in, in consulting is you need people with money because if they don't have any money, then you can't get paid. So they need some kind of budget. But, you know, if they get to the point where they've got a dev team, then you providing the whole solution isn't really what they're looking for. Right. If so, they're going to hire you, they're going to hire you to provide expertise in one area that they're having pain until the pain is solved. That's right. So what are other things we're not talking about in the freelancing world? Like how do you how do you keep track of all your podcasts and your different clients and how do you keep time for all the stuff? So, I've been playing with this over the last little while. There are certain things that I do that are you know, that I do well and certain things that I don't. As far as keeping track of time, one thing that I've been doing is I, I use a calendar. My calendar is my friend. Uh, my calendar is, you know, <laughs> I kind of live or die by it, to be honest. So typically, there are many others like it, but this one is mine. Yes. So basically what I do is it's it's a combination of two things. I use a Kanban board. I'm pretty sure I've picked the video and stuff in the past that John Sonmez did about how he sets up his week. But for me, I have to actually sit down and figure out where I'm going to spend the time. So uh, my goal is to get somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 hours a week of consulting in addition to the podcasts. And so I have to schedule that in or I'm just not going to find the time. And uh, as Curtis McHale pointed out on the Freelancer Show, you really can't find time. You can't make time. They're not making any more of it. You get the same amount as everyone else. So you've you've just got to make stuff happen. So I put it into my calendar. I'm going to work, you know, an hour on this. I'm going to work two hours on this. I'm going to work an hour on this. So for example, today I had a mastermind call at 9, and then I did Adventures in Angular at 10, 15, and then I had lunch, and then I'm doing this show, and as soon as this show's over, I'm going to work on my podcasting book for an hour, and then I'm going to spend an hour and a half working on JS Remote Comp, choosing speakers, and then I'm going to do about two or three hours of consulting this evening. Um, I'm hoping to get an hour in before the kids, or before dinner and time with the family, and then about an hour, or about two hours in after the kids go to bed, just to kind of give some idea of what's going on. And then, you know, so tomorrow I've got it scheduled, you know, 8 a.m., work on the podcasting book, 9 a.m., work on JS Remote Conf, and then I have Ruby Rogues at 10 o'clock, the Freelancer Show at 12 o'clock, JavaScript Jabber at 2 o'clock, and then I'm planning on getting another three or four hours in of consulting. And that gets me to uh, six or seven hours of consulting time, and that way, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, which are pretty open for me as far as, you know, commitments that I I have with other people. I don't really have them. So, you know, I work around the two or three that I have during those days. And then the rest of it is that time. So I block out the time in my calendar. I'm not always managed to stick to those times specifically, but it does give me an idea of about how much time I need to spend specifically in consulting in order to meet my goal. And so then what I do is I use the Kanban board and stuff like that to actually keep track of. So if I'm going to be putting in four hours of consulting tomorrow, for example, then that means that that is eight Pomodoros. And so in the Kanban board, I put it in that I'm going to spend eight Pomodoros on consulting tomorrow. And if I don't get them in, then I have to move them over to the next day and try and make it up then, which is hard. 
so that's my motivation, and that's the way that I keep track of, okay, I spent the time that I committed on these particular things. And I use the Pomodoro technique because it helps me focus. Um, so for 25 minutes, you know, that's what I'm doing. And if my wife walks in, unless somebody's bleeding, I ask her, hey, you know, can I talk to you in 10 minutes, you know, or however long I have left in my Pomodoro. And, you know, 99% of the time, that's totally fine. She just needs to talk to me sometime today about whatever it is that's on her mind. And so that works out. I've got a whiteboard in my office, so if, if she wants to keep track of it there, she can just write it down. But then that way I get that work done. I don't typically track how much time I spend on any given task outside of the consulting time because I, you know, I have a time tracker that I run on my computer that hooks into Harvest, which is the tracking system that I use. But, you know, I've been tempted to actually, you know, put in projects for each podcast, put in projects for the JavaScript conference, for the podcasting book, etc., and just see, like, if I was billing time to each of these things, how much time would I be giving them? And then make sure that the time lines up with my priorities. I tried doing that, too. I never got all of it. You know, how much do I spend writing a blog post? How much do I spend writing email for a lead. How much do I spend doing this, doing a podcast? Yeah. I get some of it, but it's never, it's never the full thing. It was like, Oh, I forgot to write in all this stuff, but yeah. And for me, since I'm using the harvest time tracker, I mean, I just start, stop. So you use harvest. Yeah. Okay. Are you using the paid version? Yes. Okay. I use, I use toggle, which is also paid. I'm pretty happy with it, but it doesn't mm-hmm. integrate with other stuff. It, I think it does. I just don't use the other stuff. So it's not that important to me. Yeah, Harvest integrates with most stuff, and yeah, it works pretty well. I know some people who are happy with FreshBooks that used to use Harvest, so I think it just depends on what your preferences are. I've been tempted to go see what it is about FreshBooks that people rave about, but I've been pretty content with Harvest, so. Does FreshBooks do scheduling as well? Time mm, time reporting? Yes, they do. Okay. But I think with them, it's you go and manually enter your time, so you have to track it somewhere else. Okay. If you're using a timer-based thing, so. Got it. But I could be wrong on that. I'm not a FreshBooks user, so. Now, going back to kind of how you planned your day, how you talked about it, and one thing I wanted to bring out, which makes a lot of sense, is you need to plan out what you're going to do, when you're going to do, because if you're an independent, no one's telling you you have to be here at this time, and you have to do this stuff. You have to do it on your right. own. And it makes total, it's a requirement to plan out your day, say, I'm going to do this type of work at this time. And for me, you know, my rate pretty good. So I want to show good value for it. And so I have, I make sure the best parts of my day where I can actually think clearly are that's when I'm working on software. I'm heads down writing code. I consider 30 hours a week full time. If I'm billing 30 hours a week, I'm happy with that. And I don't really try to do too much more if I can help it, but I get that done in the morning. As soon as I can, I get down there and I start writing code. Mostly in my basement, sometimes I'm downtown, Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense. You have to set that intention because if I wait till the end of the evening, I don't have that much valuable time. Maybe if I did a little bit after dinner, I've got one or two Pomodoros. And I, I definitely recommend doing Pomodoros, especially if you work off hours because if you can't hold your attention for 25 minutes, you should probably just clock out and yes. spend time with your family, do some other stuff with your life yep. versus running up time for a client where you're not where you're just creating bugs so i try and focus and that's one thing i i sell to my clients too i said like you know when i'm i don't have five clients i'm working with at one time i have one maybe two and i focus on your problem for the bulk of my day yep so that's something that 
You can also use to differentiate yourself from other people because a lot of people are moonlighting. They're working 40, 40 hours at some job and they're trying to do consulting on even the weekends, which it's tough. I mean, it's tough to get the energy to keep doing it. You can do it for a couple of weeks, but doing it month after month, it's hard. So that's what a lot of people are used to working with. You know, oh yeah, we had some guy doing some stuff for, for us, little stuff, and he's not available right now. Well, because he burnt out. So it's very important to keep your time in check and make sure you're not wasting your client's money and you're not wasting your time. Yeah. Now, I don't always schedule my client work for my highest quality time. It really does come down to priorities for me, and client work isn't always the top. I mean, when I'm working on client work, I'm focused, and I'm working on client work. If I can't give them quality time, I'm not billing them for the time. But a lot of times, I've got some other thing, some other project that, you know, for me is it's important or critical one way or the other. And so I'll make sure that I get that in. Now, usually I will, we're only talking about an hour or something that I take out of that key time, and then the rest of the time is theirs. But the other thing I try and do is if I'm going to spend a significant amount of time doing those kinds of things, I'll try and group it all into one day. So like my Friday this week is I'm not doing any client work. I'm doing some pairing in the morning and then I have the Entre Programmers Mastermind Call slash podcast. And then in the afternoon, I'm working on the podcasting book, the podcasting podcast, the podcasting videos and the podcasting blog posts. And that's it. So I kind of pushed everything over to Friday so that, you know, I just have that blocked out so that I'm spending the time doing that stuff. And that way, Thursday, basically all day, I'm doing client work. Wednesday, basically all day, I'm doing client work. Tuesday, I'm basically recording podcasts all day and then I'm doing some client work. And so by kind of getting all that stuff together in one day, then I don't have to try and switch gears into client work as much as as I can help. Yeah, definitely. The, the context switch from going from one thing to another is is a killer. It's I can brutal. do it once or twice a day, maybe, but I do it as little as possible. And, you know, doing morning versus night, that's not a problem because you step away for lunch or whatever. Yeah. So I could do a morning and do something else in, in the in the afternoon. But going from different things, a context switch will just zap your productivity. You know, it's about 2 o'clock right now. We're doing the podcast, and, you know, I'm probably about done for the day uh-huh. as far as what I can actually do. Actually, very valuable. You can do a little bit after that, take a break, but you know, even just doing a podcast. But it makes sense what you talked about. Like, take one day, take a Friday, and do your mastermind, which is also a great idea. I've been doing that for the past year or so. Find people that are doing what you're doing and meet with them. You know, what what's the format of yours? I mean, with ours, I think it's pretty common to say, "This is what I did this week. This is what I'm going to do next week," and you have a question for your groups. Yeah, that's more or less what we do. It's a whole lot more freeform. So usually we we talk through some of our successes, and then we talk through some of the things we're working on or thinking about. And there are some weeks where we spend the whole time helping one guy, and there are some weeks where everybody just kind kind of says, "Hey, I won this week," and you know there aren't any burning questions. Some there's some advice given, you know, generally to everybody, and then that's it. And, you know, and occasionally we bring in some expert somewhere or another that can help us out with stuff. So one example is we had Rob Walling on, what, two weeks ago to talk to us during our mastermind group. And so he had a whole bunch of information about software as a service and, you know, finding a niche and building products and stuff like that, which is something we're all interested in. And so 
we took that time to kind of be educated by an expert as opposed to giving each other advice and things like that. So, you know, we took advantage of him being there and, and being awesome at what he does. But yeah, for the most part, the mastermind groups are, are terrific for the other stuff. And honestly, they really kind of highlight for me my blind spots and I definitely have them. And I don't realize I have them until I'm talking to them and they're going, well, why don't you do this? It's kind of obvious. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it is kind of obvious. So one example there is um, this podcasting stuff. So I was like, I was talking to him and I've been reading this book. I mentioned a couple of times, Becoming a Key Person of Influence or Become a Key Person of Influence. And I was like, well, here are the two areas that I'm thinking about being a key person of influence in. And one of them was podcasting. And the other one was a technical topic, basically uh, mobile-friendly websites. And then they're like, well, you have no credibility yet in mobile-friendly websites. They're like, you have a ton of credibility and background in podcasting. So, you know, they're like, why are you even thinking about anything else? You know, I actually belong to two masterminds, and the other one meets Mondays, so I talked to them today. And, you know, so I, I kind of had the same conversation with them, and the same thing came up. And then I wound up spending about 45 minutes or so coaching one of the other guys in that mastermind about podcasting and getting all kinds of good ideas for my book. And, you know, so it's that kind of thing. It's it's that payoff, you know, that it's, you know, I got something out of it. He got something out of it. You know, I've given them advice on different aspects of business or technology that I understand, and they've done the same for me. And so, you know, all in all, I mean, that's it's a powerful thing because it's this check that you have on your own biases to keep you from doing something stupid because you didn't think about it or to encourage you to do something that you already know you should do. Sometimes that's the way it works, too. Yeah, it makes total sense. I, I'm definitely a believer in the mastermind format because yep. if you're just starting out freelancing consulting, maybe most of your people that you know, your colleagues, they have jobs. They go to work full-time. They're not dealing with you, what you're dealing. You know, Your yep. wife, your dog, they're not dealing with what you're dealing. So people that are doing the same type of things or complementary things, yep. too, uh, I People that I meet with, one guy does SEO, one's a dev shop, you know, one does kind of design and build type things. So you get a broad yep. perspective on what I'm doing, you know, I, I'm the mobile guy. It's funny, the way you so, described your group is pretty much the way that my Monday Mastermind comes together. Okay. So. A broad stroke. Yep. The SEO guy, the front end design build guy, you know, the more businessy guy. And then me, I'm the, I'm the deep web developer you know, podcaster guy. So I got one more question for you. And that is, you know, we've kind of talked about, you know, planning out your day or your week. Do you go out of your way to plan out your year? Hmm. Well, I haven't yet. So 2015 is coming up pretty quick and I haven't thought that much about it. For my business due diligence, I have to do a company meeting, which is just me, but I can write it off. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I need to do something. Take yourself to dinner. Take myself to dinner. Yep. That'll be, that'll be fantastic my big party of one, you know, gets crazy. I haven't done that much on what I'm going to do next year. I'm still processing that and seeing what opportunities are there. So I've got one client I've been working with, and if I can continue working on that app, I'm going to stick with it. That will mm -hmm. might take me half the year, but we'll see. So I should do more, but I'm not doing that much right now. Yeah, I, I haven't done as well in past years with this, but it's definitely something that I've been thinking about. And that's, that's where a lot of this, uh, key person of influence stuff is coming in. That's where a lot of the other ideas and goals that I have are coming in. 
So my deal for next year, I've basically got two or three big things for my business. One is, is that I want to speak more, but I feel like I need to become a better speaker to do that. And so one is, is to be better at that. And so that's not good enough in my opinion, for a plan for next year, but it's an outcome that I can definitely reach for. And so my intention is to attend the SCORE conference, S-C-O-R-E-E conference, the scoreconference.tv, I think. And that's a speaking conference. It's out in Colorado, which isn't that far. I can drive out there in like eight or nine hours. The funny thing is, is when I head out to that area, I usually fly because it's my hourly rate over my time. In other words, I can make up the cost of the airline ticket by working that time. So that's one thing. And then I'm also going to be attending Toastmasters every week. I think they meet every week. You know, so those are two things that I'm going to be doing for just getting better at speaking. And I think it'll affect the podcasts as well. But, you know, that's that's kind of a secondary thing. I really want to get out there and speak. I really want to build my influence in the podcasting community. I feel like that's an opportunity that I want to take. And it's something that I really, really enjoy. I just love doing the podcasts. So that's another thing. And then uh, I, I want to get some kind of product out there, you know, and move away from the hourly consulting as much as I can. Now, some of that is moving away from the hourly consulting and doing direct fee consulting or weekly billing consulting, you know, so it's the value-based fees. And I've talked to several people about it. So you, you talk to the company, you find out what it's worth to them to have this feature done. And then you, you make sure that you provide the value at, at a price that's reasonable to them. You know, and, and then it's not this, oh, I didn't put in so many hours. So, you know, I'm going to starve this month, but it's, you know, I, I built the value and, you know, sometimes that value is going to be at or below your hourly rate. And sometimes it's going to be above it, but overall, as long as it's worth it to both you and them. And then the other thing is, is yeah, I want to build a couple of services or businesses around podcasting somehow. And so by building that influence and then turning around and building products for podcasters, I think I can do really well there. And and it's a demographic that I understand well, because I talk to a lot of them, a lot of podcasters. I am a podcaster and uh, I'm pretty involved in the community there. So, so those are kind of the things that I'm thinking about this year. And then I also have goals, you know, in the other areas of my life with my marriage, my kids, uh, with my spirituality, you know, my health, there are a few other areas that I'm not thinking of right at the moment, but those kind of give you some ideas of some of the things that I'm thinking about. And then what I do is I take those things and I break them down. So, you know, like I showed with the speaking, you know, I'm going to go to Toastmasters and I'm going to go to the SCORE conference. For the podcasting thing, I'm going to start a podcast about podcasting. I'm going to put together some videos about podcasting, specifically equipment focused, I think. I'm going to write a blog post at least every week about podcasting. And I'm going to publish a book about podcasting. And so all those things build my influence in the podcasting world and build my brand so that I have that influence so that I can then go and do the other things. Well, sounds like your book for 2015. I know. I just need time to sleep now. Schedule it in, right? That's right. So I'll add a pick, early pick. Toastmasters, definitely. Even if you're not looking to be a public speaker, it definitely it definitely helps. I, w- I was a member of a Toastmasters group for five years, and before I had joined, I had no concept of being on a podcast or being a speaker. And I've been speaking for the past, you know, four years. And I just, I just joined to because I knew I needed to improve how I communicated, and it definitely helped me out a lot. So that's my early pick. Cool. Well, I don't think I have anything else. Uh, are there any other areas that you want to talk about before we get into the picks? I think that's a good part too. 
All right. Do you have any other picks before I go ahead and do my picks? You know, I had a bunch of networking, Swift networking stuff, and I'm just going to wait on that until it gives a little more thing. I will say, Chuck, you should join Toastmasters and get your competent communicator competent in, the, in the first year. That's the manual you go through. You give 10 speeches, and they tell you how to do it, and that's their first award they have, and it goes through a lot of different things. Just little things to work on through each one, like changing your voice inflection or using gestures. Uh-huh. Just little things for each one. So that's my pick. Now, is that... Uh... That's one thing I've never quite understood. So do I have to pay to be in Toastmasters or? Yeah, whatever group you join will have to pay with the main office. And they might have a little bit on top that they keep just to keep coffee on or renting space. But yeah, you'll probably have to pay. Okay. Uh, usually, usually six month dues. Sounds good. I had to look around to actually find one that was at a time that worked for me, but cool. Well, I'm just going to, I've mentioned it a few times. I'm going to pick that uh, Become a Key Person of Influence book. I've just really been digging it. It's been awesome. And then I've mentioned a few of the tools that I use, BusyCal and the Kanban Flow and the video by John Sanmez. There are so many good resources out there. If you want to learn more about freelancing, you can also listen to the Freelancer Show. I talk about this with Eric Davis, Reuven Lerner, and Curtis McHale, and we talk about this every week. So, uh, yeah, and we've been talking a lot lately about productized consulting and how to ditch the hourly billing. So if you're interested in that, you can check that out at freelancershow.com or you can find it on devchat.tv. And, uh, yeah, so those are my picks. And I guess we'll wrap up and we'll catch you all next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at ifreakshow.com slash forum. 